Memorial Day weekend, um, and uh, because it's a rainy Sunday, you chose well not going to the beach this weekend. So, uh, you know, you could have been there stuck paying all that money and got rain. Instead, you're in the house of God on Pentecost Sunday. How about that? So, yeah. Now, if you're watching online from the beach, we love you too. Some of you are probably there watching online, and we're glad to have you join us. But uh, every time, you know, when you make travel plans and it just doesn't work out, you're like, uh, why? Why did I do this? You know, but then when it works out, you're, you're really glad about it. But uh, good to see all of you. If you're joining online, we're glad to have you with us as well. A um, couple of quick things before we get into uh, Acts chapter 2 and this Pentecost Sunday message. Uh, if you happen to see my wife, she's sitting up here on the front row. But if you happen to see her, she's wearing a pink jacket. You can't miss her. Um, uh, you can give her, uh, just congratulate her on her patience, because we've been married 29 years today. 29 years. So commend her on her patience of putting up with me for 29 years. And we dated five years before that, so or almost six, right? So close to 35 years she's been stuck with me, so uh, she deserves a medal. But um, uh, now, I know I'm not alone, because Memorial Day weekend was always a big deal, like, especially when you're in college age, everybody gets a long weekend to do the wedding, the whole thing. Who else was married this weekend? Raise your hand. Anyone else? The uh, burgers? Uh, yeah. Anyone else? Got some more over here? Congratulations to all y'all. So. We, we love God's gift of marriage, provided we follow it God's way. So, uh, so we love the gift of marriage, and uh, it's a blessing uh, to be married and uh, to celebrate. And I get to celebrate here in this service. Uh, speaking of marriage, um, next Sunday, uh, Sam and Miriam will be with us. Uh, it was not planned when we had the Seder. Uh, Sam uh, officiated the Seder. Uh, and then a little bit after that, he texted me and said, hey, I'm going to be in Virginia the first week of June, I'm, I'm, I'm working with a ministry and a church plant in Lynchburg uh, on Saturday. And I said, but isn't that near your 50th anniversary? He goes, it is our 50th anniversary. Miriam and I want to serve the Lord on our anniversary day. And he said, but, you know, thinking about just driving down to Richmond and, and worshiping with you guys, I said, I'd love to have you come. You don't have to speak or anything. You can just worship with us. He goes, no, I want to preach. So, uh, <laughs> so... <laughs> Sam is 75 years of age, fought in the Vietnam War. I mean, he just has put in 50 years of ministry, 50 years of marriage uh, next weekend. And so it's their 50th anniversary. Yeah. And, but I, I said to Sam, if you want to share, I, I'm glad to let you share. You know, I, you know, he's a mentor of mine. He's discipled me. It's been a big impact on my life. I said, but, uh, you know, we have the two services. He goes, I would prefer just to do the 1045. So I didn't have the heart to, to wrangle him into two services. So I already told the 830 service, it doesn't apply to you, but we will have more of a packed house, but we'll do our best. So hopefully it's good weather and we can have the screen out there. But he's just going to do the one service. And at 75, he's earned the right to tell me one service. So uh, I don't plan on any other ones the rest of the year unless he comes back in town or something like that. But uh, I've never heard him teach on the year of Jubilee, and because he's married 50 years, he wants to teach on that, and maybe there's a Jubilee in your life coming this year. Uh, that, would be, that would be wonderful. So I think you'll be blessed, and if you are out of town, you want to watch online, 1045 will be streaming 
of course. And then uh, with that, we're going to pray for revival before we do. And we pray for revival every week. Um, I got some, for us, bummer news. For them, not so bad news. Victor and the Matanya's family on the front row here. Victor, you raise your hand there. Uh, yes, so Victor has been, what, 23 years in the Marine Corps? And to, yeah. And to finish his orders, they have moved, they're moving him and the family to outside of Phoenix, Arizona, which is a, well, their backyard's going to have a pool. So, uh, you know, that, uh, but for us, it's a bummer. For the kids, they're really excited about it, I'm sure. Now, they're going to keep their house here, and, and there's a chance they might move back in three years. We're praying it's so hot in Phoenix that they just say, Virginia, four seasons, and fall, and winter, and spring, and birds chirping, and all the kind of stuff. So... Uh, but we'll pray that a lot. But anyway, <laughs> but we're, we're going to miss them. And uh, when people, uh, you know, the case, you guys are back here from Raleigh. And so we've got, you know, so. So at, when people leave for good reasons, they're always family. So we want to just pray over them and not to embarrass the whole family. Victor, because he's a Marine, will stand and represent his family. I'll pray, and then I'll pray for revival. Let's just pray over their family as they head to Arizona. Lord, we just pray your blessing on uh, Victor and Cassandra and the whole family. Lord, we pray that uh, uh, you would knit them in. I know they found a Calvary Chapel already out there, and you'd knit them in, and uh, they continue to grow in your grace. You continue to bless their marriage and their new little baby, Josiah, and the whole family. We pray, Lord, if it's your will that they uh, stay there or come back here or whatever it may be three years from now, Lord, uh, it's crystal clear, and you make their path clear. And, uh, and Lord, we just pray that you'd use them as lights and witnesses. Continue to use uh, Victor in the Marine Corps. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. And then, uh, yeah, you give him a hand. And then lastly, we pray for our own country. We've been praying for revival for 15, 16 years. And then uh, ever since the pandemic, although it's a little crowded in here today, um, it, it might be tight, but uh, those of you that are able to, we, we just take about 45 seconds of silence, just in humility before the Lord. If you want to get on your knees, and we just sang that song, I Fall on My Knees, you can. You don't have to. If you have bad knees, I've never done this, just sit there and pray with us silently, but we want to pray for our country. I don't know if you realize, but we have a lot of problems in this country, and it's all due, uh, you, you can pick any one of them, and I can trace it back to sin. They, what about this? Nope, I can trace it back. Every single thing is because man's rebellion causes all kinds of other social issues and, and violence and immorality and broken homes and broken lives and addictions and cartels and everything you can think of. And it's all because we've turned our face from God. So we continue to pray for revival. And uh, we're going to look at Acts chapter 2, but God can still pour out a revival, can he? He did it in Nineveh. And Jonah didn't even want to preach the message. So I know he can do it. So if you want to pray with us, do so. If you want to get on your knees, you can. 45 seconds of silence, and then I will pray and close us and then we'll get into John, uh, uh, Acts chapter 2.
Father, we silently, we humbly, we come before you. Lord, we know that uh, you're the only one that can save, that can redeem. You're the only one that can open up blind eyes. You're the only one that can raise the dead, both literally and spiritually. Lord, uh, we come before you, and we're so thankful and grateful that you are gracious and merciful, not willing that any should perish. Lord, if we're saved, if we've been born again in this room, it's only by the grace of the living God. And Jesus, because you came, we thank you so much that you gave your body, your blood, and you conquered sin and death through your atonement and your resurrection. But Lord, there's so many that outside these four walls, and perhaps some in this room or watching online, don't know you as Lord and Savior. They're still not ready for eternity. They're not ready if you should return for their soul or if you should return for the body of Christ with the rapture of the church. Lord, they're not ready at this moment. Lord, I pray that you would quicken them. Open their eyes, open their ears. Lord, we pray for the nation. Lord, uh, we see the violence. We see the bloodshed. We see the immorality. We see the idolatry. We see the pride. We see the hatred. We see the racism. We see all of these things. And Lord, we know that you're the only answer to our nation's dilemmas. Tomorrow, Lord, we'll celebrate Memorial Day. We are grateful for every person that gave their lives for our freedom. And Lord, we pray that you uh, comfort families that even have lost loved ones recently in the line of duty, Lord, in military. Uh, we pray that you would uh, comfort those families. And Lord, we pray that uh, we would understand that, Jesus, you paid an even far greater price because you were sinless and died for our sins. You saved us from death and eternity in hell, Lord. So we pray, Lord, that you would uh, reveal to those that do not know you, even those that are fighting against you and resisting you, Lord, you would show them that no one comes to the Father but by you. Lord, you'd bring repentance and revival in our nation. As we pray for other nations, we pray this morning for the nation of Algeria there in Africa. We pray that they would see a revival in that country as well. And Lord, we pray for our persecuted brothers and sisters all over the world. Remember them in their chains, Lord, deliver them, heal them, reunite them with family. And our missionaries, Lord, that we support, we thank you for them. Use them in a mighty way. Encourage them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for praying with us. Has everybody's knees? Good, good, good. I, I, I said a long time ago, a few years ago, I'm 54 now, but like seven years ago, my knees were way worse than they are now. And I started getting on my knees to pray and running, and they've gotten way better. And I'm, I'm just telling you, God does things that are counterintuitive. You'd be surprised. Sometimes he's saying, do this. But the doctor says, just listen to me. Amen? Acts chapter 2. Turn with me to Acts chapter 2. And um, today is Pentecost, by the way. Pentecost Sunday, and we're in Acts chapter 2. If you follow the Hebrew calendar, which probably most of you don't, but maybe a couple of you do, then it actually started yesterday. Uh, but it is Pentecost Sunday, and we're glad to be opening Acts chapter 2 and looking at Pentecost this morning. I'm going to read, uh, we're going to read verses 1 through 24, uh, but I'm just going to read uh, verses 1 through 13 to start off with, and then we'll pick up uh, verses 14 through 24 a little bit later. Starting with verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, and they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven, as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. 
Then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire. And one sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when the sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these Galileans? And how is it that we hear in our own language in which we were born, Parthians and Medes and Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, uh, and Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya, adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, those would be Gentiles that have turned to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? Others mockingly said, they are full of new wine. Let's pray. Father, we come before you again we're all in one place, gathered here, hopefully in one accord, Lord, and we pray that you would speak to us by the same mighty Holy Spirit that spoke to the church, that moved upon the church, that baptized the church there 2,000 years ago in Jerusalem. We are thankful that that Spirit lives in us if we're saved, has already inhabited our worship, is already leading our prayers, is the one that wants to bring revival more than we want it. And Lord, we pray that you would move on our hearts this morning. Even if we've read this a thousand times, it would be fresh and new because we need a new touch, all of us, Lord, from your spirit. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So two days earlier, Jesus had ascended back to the Father. Ten days earlier, sorry. Ten days earlier, Jesus had ascended back to the Father. On the 40th day, he goes back to the Father. And the 11 apostles... Now back to 12, if you recall, because Matthias had taken Judas Iscariot's place during that same period of time, along with the other disciples, both men and women, about 120 in total. They had remained in prayer and supplication. That's earnestly pleading with God. All of them praying and waiting, waiting for the Holy Spirit to come. What would it look like? They had no idea. They didn't know what that looked like what it would entail. But when the day of Pentecost arrived, the promise of the Spirit that Jesus had expressed to the eleven showed up in a profoundly sudden manner. Sudden are things that we just don't expect. It just comes out of nowhere, right? Sometimes that's good news, sometimes it's not. But it was glorious and amazing on that wondrous day. But it's still impacting us, the body of Christ, and the entire world to this day. Would you agree with that? Here on this Pentecost Sunday. If you're taking notes, you see the title this morning. Pentecost power, the Holy Spirit poured out. Now in obedience to Jesus, this group of about 120 disciples, they had continued to gather together in one mind and one accord. And I love in verse 1, there on the day of Pentecost, what it says here. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. 
They're all still there. There's nobody that's left the prayer meeting. There's nobody that's left the worship service. There's nobody that's left the fellowship. There's no drop-off. All 120 about are still there. One heart, one mind. Nobody had left. Nobody had decided, you know what? There's more important things to do than wait for what Jesus commanded. Sadly, a lot of people don't think that way today, huh? And their gathering, at least for the men that is, actually fulfills two commands. One under the old covenant and one under the command that Jesus gave them there on the Mount of Olives. Pentecost, you may or may not know, was one of three feasts of Israel that required all the Hebrew men to gather to Jerusalem, three of them. Feast of Unleavened Bread, this one, the Feast of Weeks, or Pentecost, and also the Feast of Booze, or the Feast of Tabernacles, a fall feast. So you had Jews there gathered from countries all over the world. Pentecost is taken from the Greek word, Greek word, Pentecostos, which means 50. You know, you have five sides of the Pentagon, things like that. 50. It's one of the seven annual feasts under the law. And in the Hebrew name, and you'll hear Jewish people use the word Shavuot, which I probably say wrong almost every time, but I give it a shot, uh, which means weeks. Hence, it's also called the Feast of Weeks, as Israel was to count seven weeks. And those of you who are good at math, you know seven times seven, 49. And so for those 49 days, those seven weeks, you counted those seven weeks, from the Feast of First Fruits, Jesus rose on the Feast of First Fruits, which came right at the end of Passover, to the end of the 49, and the day after is the 50th day, which is Pentecost. Lastly, Pentecost was also called the Day of First Fruits, not to be confused with the Feast of First Fruits. Say, so that's confusing. Well, one was a barley harvest, one was a wheat harvest. Jesus rose, Feast of First Fruits, and then Pentecost is also called the Day of First. One's called week, one's called day. Jesus on that one. So with the, the day of first fruits is mentioned in Numbers 28, 26, and it celebrates, again, the wheat harvest. It was, a, it was a joyful celebration to celebrate the harvest of wheat. Now, some of the rabbinical writings, you may have heard this before, some of the rabbinical writings around the 12th century uh, reference Shavuot or Pentecost as the commemoration of Moses giving the law. That's not specified anywhere in Scripture, just so you know. There's no Scripture that says that. Uh, but that said, uh, we can still see new covenant promises and blessings that are given here on Mount Zion. We were just singing about Mount Zion. Did you guys notice that? Uh, thank you, Gary, and the worship team. You guys were great. But uh, there's blessings that were given here on Pentecost on Mount Zion that are in contrast to the law and commands that were given under Moses because nobody could keep the law. It was not a joyful moment. When the law was given, it was like an aha moment of, wow, we've got a lot to live up to. I'll point some of these things out as we go through chapter 2 over the next few weeks, some of them this morning, some of them the next couple of weeks. But back to verse 1 of your Bibles open, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Uh, the morning of Pentecost, and we know it was morning because uh, of what Luke records, Peter saying, in verse 15 when he talks about the third hour of the day. But it was a morning that subsequently 
would be like none other in the history of the world or in the church. Now, we know that those who, get, who woke up that morning, when you woke up this morning, you knew it was Sunday, unless you lost your mind. You knew it was Sunday. You knew tomorrow was Monday. You knew you had off work tomorrow, most of you. Some of you that don't, I'm sorry. We have first service. One of the guys works for Home Depot. It's a big day for them tomorrow, so he's not off. So, uh, but uh, you know what day it is, and they woke up, and they knew when they woke up that morning that it was Shavuot, that it was Pentecost. And while praying and gathering, they would have been counting, because they were faithful and devout, they would have been counting the 49 days every day. It was the one, by the way, this was the one feast that didn't land on the same date every year. You had to count the 49 days, the 50, so you couldn't be off. It wasn't the same date. It would be different in different years. So you had to count the 49 days from the Feast of First Fruits to the Day of First Fruits. So they would be counting those 49 days, and they knew the day after was the 50th day, Pentecost. We can only guess that some of them may have wondered. I'm talking about the 120 that were in this 10-day time of prayer, fellowship, worship, preaching, teaching, exhorting one another, waiting for Jesus to send the promise of the Spirit. We can only guess that some of them might have wondered. I wonder, because sometimes in my household, my wife will think of things that I don't think of. Sometimes I'll think of things she doesn't think of. Like, and one of them might say, you know, I wonder if the Holy Spirit will fall on Pentecost. I wonder if it could happen on Shavuot. And it's going to, of course. Uh, verse 2, and suddenly, there, there they are gathered, whether they were thinking it or not thinking it, whether they had any idea at all. Even again, they had no idea what was coming. They just said, Jesus just told them they would, they would receive the promise of the Holy Spirit, but they didn't know what that would look like. But here's what it is going to look like in verse 2. And suddenly, out of nowhere, normal morning, everything's going normal, everybody's getting dressed and ready for Pentecost, we're going to go celebrate the feast, but before they could get out of the building, there came a sound from heaven. We need a sound from heaven, don't we? There came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. As they were gathered, still waiting for the Holy Spirit, as Jesus had promised, and ready to participate as a group in the Feast of Weeks, suddenly there's a sound from the skies. Now, when you hear thunder, you know it's not coming from under your feet. You can tell the sound is coming from above, down towards your ears. And there was no mistaking. They all knew, not only did they hear the sound, it says that a sound from heaven, they instinctively knew that this sound was coming not just from the skies, but beyond the skies, from heaven. A sound from heaven, they knew this is coming from the Lord. Maybe instantaneously the words of Jesus might have filled their mind. Oh, yes, the promise of the Spirit. We're hearing something coming down from heaven. This, uh, this sound, it describes a mighty rushing. So two adjectives back to back. Mighty rushing wind. And it can be translated a violent wind. Powerful, loud, impossible to ignore or miss. But unlike a hurricane or a tornado, which we all jump into the closet, or if you live in Kansas or something, you go down to these uh, pre-built uh, tornado uh, shelters, this wind doesn't knock anything over, doesn't destroy anything. No, it comes to build up. 
comes to build up the church. It rushes into that one room. And if you've been to Jerusalem, we're going back to Jerusalem in February. If you've been there and you see all those limestone buildings everywhere, but the wind circumvents the whole city and flies into one room. All of it, all this mighty rushing wind. But ultimately, not just into one room, but into all the souls of the 120 that are in that room. We'll look at that in just a second. Look at verse 3. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire and sat upon each of them. Not only does the wind from heaven fill the room, but suddenly fire appears. Now, usually when fire appears in a room, you run. If fire appears here, I'm thinking most of y'all are not wanting to hang out. Hopefully the sprinkler systems come on and everything takes care. And the, the, do we have a fire alarm? Anyway, that all goes off. Maybe it's me. Yeah, get out, whatever it is. But this building was built a long time ago. But, uh, so all of a sudden this fire appears. But it's not a raging, out-of-control fire, but a very organized fire. If you had it on a spreadsheet, it's in order. There's 120 people there. If they're, sitting in, if they're sitting in rows, which I don't know that they are, but however they're sitting, it's a very organized fire. There's a fire resting on each person, not just all over the place. Smaller flames resting upon, it says divided tongues. It means, uh, again, divided on each person. They would all kind of look like individual human candles if they were standing up, right? There's a little fire on top, and they're standing there. I'll come back to that in just a minute. But remember that John the Baptist had prophesied. He had said in the future, this is going to happen. Luke 3.16, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. It's a really interesting thing that hell is a tormented place of fire, but we see angels covered in fire at times, ministers of flaming fire. Saints can have fire. A burning bush can have fire. In Revelation, a, a group of saints are standing on a sea as it's of glass, mingled with fire, worshiping the Lord. So if you know the Lord, his fire is a consuming, it consumes like the impurities in us, and it's the holiness of God that's changing us. But if you don't know the Lord, it could be a place of eternal torment. But this fire is resting upon them. It's going, to be, it's going to be a fire that's going to fan the whole world with the work of the gospel. Now here in verse 4, And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Here we see the very first mention of the Spirit by name on this specific day. Remember the first three verses, we see the manifestation of the Spirit. But here Luke mentions the Spirit. Because he says the Spirit, no question about it, this is the Holy Spirit. The wind, the fire, the sound, this is the Holy Spirit. Rushing into this room from heaven, right from the throne room of God, right into this uh, room. And not only does it envelop the room and all over them, but the Spirit comes in them, fills them. By the way, does anyone think it's a coincidence that Jesus was crucified at Passover, rose on the first feast of first fruits, and then the Spirit is poured out on the day of first fruits, Shavuot Pentecost. Does anyone think that's a really odd coincidence? <laughs> Dies at Passover, raises on the feast of first fruits, given on the day of first fruits. Of course not. 
Here's another thing that's really important for us as believers, if, if you know the Lord. Remember when Jesus, early in his ministry, he goes into a synagogue, he opens a scroll, and he begins to read from him, from it, and he reads this, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And he goes on to say, to, to heal the sick, and to, uh, he's going to go and do all these things to preach good tidings. Now, if Jesus, who is God the Father, who is God the Son, who is the Spirit, if he is the three-in-one, if he's God incarnate, if Jesus says, I will not do my earthly ministry without the anointing of the Holy Spirit, why would we think we can live this life without the anointing of the Holy Spirit? Amen? Amen. Jesus says, the Spirit is upon me. Now I will go out and minister. You can better believe we need the Helper, which is what he called the Spirit in the upper room But when he promised uh, just before he goes to the cross, I will send the Helper. And then, let, then of course, in Acts 1.8, the Spirit will come upon you. You'll be my witnesses. Now, clearly, all that's been evident to the senses, if you were in that room, if you were one of the 120, your senses would be on fire, literally, by the way. Your senses would be on fire. You've heard with your ears the mighty wind. You have felt it rush in. You felt the wind. You know, when, you, uh, when it's, you're standing on the beach and it's just a windy day, you can feel it. Of course, you get the sand and everything else, too. You don't have any of that. But you feel the wind. They felt the rushing wind come in. And then they see with their eyes, they see the fire that's resting upon each person. All of these are the manifestations of the Spirit surrounding and immersing. They're completely being baptized as the church, but also individually as the Spirit. It's not just an outward immersion, it's an inward immersion. How do we know that? Because back to verse 4, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. So the, their spirit and soul is being filled by the Spirit. They've already been sealed with the Spirit with salvation. They've already been given the Spirit, but they're being filled with the Spirit and also being baptized at the same time. Understand that the baptism of the Spirit, the baptism of the church being baptized into Christ, which is obviously taking place, he's baptizing his entire church into the Spirit, but also it's an individual thing. I got saved, and then later I received the baptism of the Spirit, but I've already received the indwelling. Jesus had already breathed upon them the Spirit after he rose from the dead. He already breathed upon them the Spirit, but the baptism is for the anointing power but the filling of the Spirit, when it says here uh, they were filled with the Spirit, you should know by now that you will need to be filled with the Spirit thousands of times in your lifetime. Amen? In fact, every single day, you don't need to be rebaptized by the Spirit, but you do need to be constantly refilled with the Spirit. Does that make sense? There's a constant refilling. You should come here today and be refilled with the Spirit. And tomorrow, as you spend time with the Lord, you should be refilled with the Spirit. Not resaved, not a rebaptism of the Spirit, but a constant refilling. And we know this because it's all throughout the New Testament. Be filled with the Spirit, be filled with the Spirit, be filled with the Spirit. Hope that all makes sense. Verse 4 continued here. Uh, they don't even know. It goes on to say, and they begin to speak with other tongues of the Spirit. Now, at first, all their senses are just kind of hit at the same time. They they see, or they, they hear the wind, they, they feel the wind, they see the fire, and then the Spirit fills them. They don't know that the Spirit is doing something to their tongues that they're not going to be aware of until they speak. By the way, Jesus said at a later date, you're going to have times where you're not going to know what to say until you go to say it. Isn't that good to know when we get in places and future points in life, say, Lord, I, what am I going to say in that moment? He goes, I will tell you in that moment. Your tongue will be ready 
for the moment. But you have to be walking with the Lord and walking in the Spirit. But they don't know that their tongues are being instantly equipped for this particular day, and in many respects, for the days well beyond. The Spirit is filling them and empowering them, and they're given the instant ability. I wish I had this. This would really help when I go to foreign countries. They're given the instant ability to speak in other tongues, other dialects, and other languages. Now, let me pause for a second. It's possible, and uh, there's, there's uh, a lot of rules, of, there's a lot of... Uh, views on this particular moment. Um, it's possible that there were unknown prayer languages. I'm talking about in the upper room. They're still in the upper room. The Holy Spirit rushes in. It is possible in the immediate before they get outside this room and the preaching starts to take place to the multitudes that are outside, it is possible that while they're in the upper room, while they're still just praying and praising God, that the Spirit instantly gave some prayer languages, other dialects of just speaking to the Holy Spirit, in the Holy Spirit, all that is possible. Uh, it doesn't specifically say that, but it says other tongues, so anything is under the realm of the umbrella there. We simply don't know. We do know this, that while they were in there talking, praying, ministering to one another for the ten full days, they all spoke the same language. They were not speaking multiple languages. They all spoke the same language. They were all Galilean, as the text tells us. They all spoke the same language. We also know that once they leave the upper room, so it, they began to speak with other tongues and the Spirit gave them utterance. Once they leave the upper room, verse 4 and 5 transition to them leaving the upper room and out into the multitudes. And they were dwelling in Jerusalem, the Jews, devout men. We'll get to that in a second. But as they leave the upper room, there will be many languages and language barriers outside the four walls. And people that have come to Jerusalem from all over that are going to need to hear the witness of Jesus, which is the gospel. And we know that unless they hear it in their own language and it makes sense to them, they're not going to understand. But aren't you glad God has all this covered, right? He's got all this covered in, in advance. He's like, here's how it's going to roll. When I bring the Holy Spirit, there's not going to be a language barrier in Jerusalem on that day, period. Everyone will hear as if it's in their native tongue. The Spirit of God has no limitations, and, and he still has no limitations. Amen? Amen. Verse 5. So that verse 4 and 5 transition out of the upper room, out into what would be the streets of Jerusalem, and there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. Uh, Luke tells us, again, there was Jews from all over the world. We read some of the countries there. Uh, he specifically mentions devout men. And why he says that is, again, devout Jewish men did not miss coming to Jerusalem for those three required feasts. Non-devout Jewish men, eh, I'll go when I want. Yeah, but there was even times in the Old Testament where the entire nation of Israel stopped observing the Passover, stopped observing some of the feasts. Maybe they were judged for these things, but, but there was times where they just, oh, we don't want to do this anymore. Uh, matter of fact, we're going to go sacrifice to idols. Uh, so, but if you were devout and you were a Jewish man, you'd been circumcised, you, you kept the law, you did not miss going to Jerusalem for the three required feasts. You bring your whole family with you. And so the devout, then you had non-devout, people that didn't come as often, but yet they still were culturally or even uh, religiously Jewish, they still would come as well, but the most devout as well as anybody else that happened to be there. And you know, those three solemn feasts I mentioned, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, 
Pentecost, Feast of Booze, the, the population of Jerusalem would swell. And the Feast of Unleavened Bread happened the same week of Passover. Passover, you have three festivals in the same week, so you get a lot of people, and uh, Jerusalem is just jam-packed with all these different uh, Jews from all over the world, and people that have adopted Judaism, whether they be, that's the word proselytes, uh, and they've come there as well. On to verse 6. Uh, and when the sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. So it appears that when the mighty rushing wind sound, God did not hide the sound from the, from the city. He let everyone hear the sound. And th- we see some similar things to... Uh, uh, as well, remember when Paul on the road, we'll get to this later in the book of Acts, on the road to Damascus, some people heard things, but they didn't hear what Paul heard. And he saw Jesus, but they, they just saw a bright light. And so there was things that, that God would kind of show part of the crowd, some of it, but everyone in the city heard the mighty rushing wind. It would be like, uh, we, I talked about in the first service, uh, there's sometimes when you just don't expect, you ever see a flash of lightning, you're like, oh, I'm going to get thunder but it turns out to be 10 times louder than your earbuds were expecting. It was closer than you thought it was or something like that. And you're like, are my eardrums still intact? You know, like I did not expect that. Next time I'm going to put my hands in. But they all heard the whole city. And if something happened in Chesterfield County where everyone heard the same wind and the wind goes rushing towards 11900 Genito Road, that's where you're sitting right now, then everyone would say, what's going on there? And so the crowd begins to gather. They've heard the wind, and they could somehow even sense the direction that the wind was headed. Uh, by the way, another parallel, as I mentioned, even though the scriptures don't directly specify that uh, Shavuot is a contrast to what happened on Mount Sinai, the giving of the law versus the giving of the Spirit. However, we do see parallels that are uh, contrasting parallels. Uh, at Mount Sinai, everyone saw the thunder and the lightning and the power of God come resting upon the mountain. Here, everyone in the city is aware that something from heaven has fallen upon the city. They just don't know what it is. And they're even further confused as they get together, as people are accustomed to doing. When there's a big event happening, people are like, hey, what's going on? Did you hear it? What's going on? Let me check Twitter. I mean, everyone trying to figure out what is happening. All of a sudden the people in the 120 start speaking and they're just as best they know of coming out, praising God, singing something. Remember that the Feast of Weeks is a very joyful occasion. So it would be very natural for the 120 to come out and worshiping and singing, praise the Lord and singing psalms, literal psalms and hymns. But as they're singing them, doesn't matter if they're singing them in Hebrew or Aramaic or whatever language the 120 was speaking that day, other people are hearing them in Hold on a second. That's not, that's not Hebrew. This is my language. And now they're really confused. They heard the sound. Now they're hearing things. The 120, uh, they head out of the upper room to be part, presumably to be part of the Pentecost feast. They would have been counting these days just like everyone else in the city. It's a harvest celebration as they head out. It would have started in the morning anyway. The Spirit comes just before the start of everything. The Spirit comes, then the festivities and all these things. And they're given... With the filling of the Holy Spirit, as the Spirit fills them, they can't help but worship God. They can't help. It says that they were, um, uh, as they went out, uh, glorifying God and the wonderful works of God. They can't help but to sing and to praise God and even speak to total strangers. 
this is what it looks like, brother and sister, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You can't help but worship. You can't help but have joy. You can't help to talk to people that are lost. You can't help but praise God. You can't help but point people to God. And lo and behold, he'll even allow you say, well, I'm not culturally like that person. I don't look like that person. He will allow you to connect with people you thought you couldn't connect with. Amen? It may not be language, but all of a sudden the language of the love of God starts to come through us. And we will walk in a state of worship and joyful witness as Jesus did. But the people from all over the world, let me um, uh, just kind of stay in this text for just a moment. I'm not going to reread all the verses about the nations and, and all the nations that, that Luke mentions here. You can look at them yourself. But, uh, but you've got people from all over the world. They've heard the disciples singing and praying and speaking in their own languages. They've heard the mighty rushing wind. Uh, and then we know that it's an, uh, quite a list of, of languages because this uh, that he mentions, all these nations that he mentions here, I don't believe this is an exhaustive list. I believe he's given a sample list to show you the, the vast diversity of nations. He says every nation under heaven uh, to start out with. But all of these nations, by the way, the nations that he mentions include Africa, Europe, and the Middle East, the known world as Luke knew it, is mentioned here. As best he could tell, because Israel is right at the center of this three-leaf clover, if you will, of those three continents. And he's saying, everyone from those three continents that I could think of was there. And it's obviously supernatural when Galileans are speaking, but everyone's hearing them in their multitude language. We could have, we could have had dozens of languages here. And it can't be explained, and they couldn't explain it. And all this adds to the, to the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit that has already been displayed. And although inside the upper room, remember the fire in the, in the upper room, the fire was resting upon them, it does not appear that when they leave the upper room that the fire is visible to everybody else. I bet, I bet you it's visible to God, amen? It does not, Luke doesn't mention anybody saying, hey, there's fire on your heads. Like, nobody seems to be saying that. The only thing that they are completely confused Fused by is you're speaking in your language, but I'm hearing it in my language. But there doesn't appear that when they leave the upper room, it's like the fire goes in them or something, but it's not appearing to be. Uh, now, I'm not saying unequivocally that there was no fire, but it, not in the text. Once they leave the upper room, it appears that that kind of like dissipates, but the power of the Spirit is now in them. Does that make sense? That they're now exhibiting, just like fire has a power, they're exhibiting that power. And um, so it's not mentioned, but they're now shining even more than they ever have before. They're shining as witnesses, just as Jesus promised. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 16, that this would be the case of believers, and it's happening in their, uh, in, in their disposition there on the day of Pentecost. Let your light so shine before men that they would see your good works and glorify God. And so they see that God is working in them. They, their lights are shining. They're still human candles, but now they're just lit up by more like, like Christmas tree lights. The whole thing is shining now, not just above their head, but they're shining with the Holy Spirit. Now, with all the supernatural evidence that God has demonstrated, the entire city had heard the rushing wind, uh, the individuals among the 120 that are now speaking and people are hearing them in multiple languages. 
They're trying to figure out what it is. They're trying to make sense of it all. The world always tries to make sense of what God does. Amen? Um, you can't always explain everything God does. Matter of fact, there's lots of things we'll never be able to explain. But they draw, some of them, look at verse 13, others were mocking, you know, verse 12, they were amazed, they were perplexed, they were saying to one another, whatever could this mean? Then you get to, ver you get to verse 13, others were mocking, saying they are full of new wine. So with all that they've seen, some draw the completely illogical conclusion that they're drunk with wine or liquor. Luke says it's in a mocking tone. He says that others mocking. Isn't this just like the world? Isn't this just like the world? They denied, they saw Jesus do miracles. He raises Lazarus from the dead. They said, let's kill him. They saw him heal people that had been uh, in lame for decades. They said, we need to kill him. Instead of seeing that and saying, we need to repent and worship God, they try and come up with a way to circumvent it. Here they just mock it, say these are drunk. Not everybody responded that way. Obviously some are going to be uh, coming to Christ this very day. We'll get to that uh, later in the chapter. But some begin to mock. When you think about it, when's the last time you saw someone drunk suddenly speaking coherently? <laughs> Ever. Uh, now, before I came to Christ... I used to like to drink some drinks. <laughs> I used to attend bar in Miami where I was going to college. I attended bar all the way through. I'm not, I'm not validating that you should do this. I'm simply that. That's how I was working my way through college. I had plenty. I served lots of drinks, every kind that you can think of. I saw a lot of people get to the point where we had to call them a cab. And I never saw them improve their speech, <laughs> ever. They didn't suddenly gain linguistic skills. It went down from there. They didn't learn new languages either, except for cursing. And that's the only thing that seemed to come out. But no, you start getting drunk, you get slurred speech, not linguistic abilities. By the way, this, this miracle of the Spirit instantaneously breaks down every language barrier and that is a sign, and it's a sign in multi-it's a, a multi-pronged sign to the multitudes. And here's the list, if you're taking notes. It's a multi-song, multi-pronged, not song. It could be song too, but a multi-pronged sign to the multitude. One, it's God's power that they can speak, and they don't even know. They're not trying to speak other languages. Other languages are coming out. One, God's power. Number two, it's his sovereignty over the nations. Because all the nations are represented in all the languages, God is saying, I'm the only one that can speak to all of you in one moment, in one voice, because of one Savior. So it speaks to God's power. It's, it's a sign of his power. It's a sign of his sovereignty over the nation. It's also a sign of his love that they all hear the same message. I don't know if you know, there's not 120 roads to heaven. They were all giving the one voice of Jesus. Amen? It wasn't like 120 say, all right, you tell them about Muhammad, I'll tell them about Confucius. Hey, no, one loving message of the cross. There's one message of love, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ, which we're going to read just in a second here. And then the last one is it's a message of judgment because it was God 
who dispersed and judged the nations at the Tower of Babel and caused the nations to all of a sudden be splintered into different languages in the first place. And he said, I'm the one that divided in judgment, but I'm the only one that can unify. And so it's a sign that he is the great judge of the earth. All these, And they would have seen a lot of these things, and their understanding of scriptures would have been, their eyes would have been opened. But all of it speaks to God's what? Authority. His authority over us, over the languages, over the nations, over the way that we come to him through his son. Pick it up with verse 14, and we'll read the last 10 verses and cover these, and we'll come to a close. But Peter, in verse 14, but Peter standing up with the eleven raised his voice and said to the men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. For these are not drunk, as you suppose. It is only the third hour of the day, or 9 a.m. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Uh, your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams, and on my men servants and on my maid servants I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy, and I will show wonders in heaven above, and, in the, and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, verse 22, hear these words, not just heed, but hear Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, they couldn't lie that they didn't see it. They'd seen it. As you yourselves know, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands and crucified and put to death. This is not the way to win friends if you preach like this, uh, but he does it anyway. When God raised whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be held by it. Amen. At the beginning of verse 14, you'll see something that reminds us back to chapter 1. Peter standing up. We saw Peter in chapter 1 in the upper room. Remember, he stood up. And he took the reins of responsibility. He took that Jesus had recertified him, put him back in the commission, put the mantle back on him. Remember in the upper room, Peter stood up. He took the reins of responsibility to do what? To build up the body of believers. And he did the work of shepherding the flock in chapter 1. And he remember, he felt really unworthy of that when he denied Jesus three times, but he'd been restored. He took and stood up as he was supposed to. Now here we see Peter standing up yet again to be the spokesperson. He's standing with the 11, but he's clearly going to be the preacher, and they are going to be the, the guy standing with him. But he's going to be the spokesperson. He stands up again. This time he stands up to do the work of the gospel. Inside the church it was to build up the believers. Outside the church it was to preach the gospel. He stands up to preach, to be the witness that Jesus told him that they would all be in chapter 1, verse 8, when the Holy Spirit had come Upon them. And then it says Peter raises his voice. Sometimes, if you're going to preach, you've got to raise your voice every now and then. You're going to have to. And, and Jesus, Jesus, he had seen, Peter had seen Jesus raise his voice many times in preaching. How else could he preach to thousands? So he would have to raise his voice. 
And he sees that in verse 15, he addresses uh, the local Jews and those that have gathered here, men of Judea, and all who dwell in Jerusalem, those that are all dwelling there just for that short period of time. So everyone that's come for the feast, he addresses them. He quickly dismisses the ridiculous charge of drunkenness. Um, he culturally just says, you guys know that doesn't happen here at 9 a.m. Uh, I was talking to Sam about drunkenness. We're talking about uh, how lax many Christians have gotten in 2023. So many Christians think it's super cool to put on their Instagram, them with a beer and them with a wine and all this other stuff and how, how super cool they are drinking and everything else. And, but we're, and that's one thing, but, but obviously being drunk with wine is actually sinful. And so the Bible makes it clear, be not drunk with wine, where is in excess. And I asked Sam, I said, Sam, uh, you know, you guys, you grew up in a Jewish household, and you, I know you guys use actual real wine for Passover and things like that. Uh, did you ever have drunkenness uh, take place? He goes, never. He grew up in an Orthodox Jewish community in Brooklyn. He goes, drunkenness was culturally never, if you did that, you were considered to be a worthless man. So in the community of the Jewish all Orthodox community, you just didn't see, he said, you just didn't see the drunkenness take place. I mean, not that they wouldn't have a glass of wine or something, but just wouldn't see the drunkenness because he's like, no, no, that, that you, would consider, you would be considered to be irresponsible, and people would look at you like, oh, you're an irresponsible person. Well, by this, at this time, drunkenness at 9 a.m. just culturally wasn't normal in, in Jerusalem. And Peter, rather than kind of like confront the ridiculousness and say, why would you guys, he doesn't rail against them, he just simply graciously dismisses it, saying, as all of you know, no one in this city, we don't have a drunkenness problem at 9 a.m., let's move on. And he gets right into the message. <laughs> so he just kind of dismisses it in that manner. Uh, hopefully that uh, makes sense to you. Uh, as he does that, um, as he goes on, uh, he stands up to lead and encourage the disciples uh, back in chapter 1, but here as he stands up to uh, preach the gospel he says in verse 17, and it shall come to pass in the last days. Uh, the first 4,000 years of history are already in the past at this point. You have 4,000 years from the Garden of Eden to the cross. So from creation to the cross is 4,000 years. You have about 2,000 years from the cross till now. So the first 4,000 of the first two-thirds are gone. You're in the latter third by the time you get to the cross. We're in the latter third, right? We're in the way end of the latter third right now. And as Peter rises to preach the word, he, he opens the book, or he opens his mouth, and he preaches from the book of Joel. In fact, it's Joel chapter 2. If you're taking notes, Joel chapter 2, verses 28 to 32. And he quotes it word for word. Uh, he stands up, and he doesn't make up a message. He just quotes from the prophet Joel. And he says uh, these, these words, and it shall come to pass in the last days. Uh, the outpouring of the Spirit, uh, the church upon the bride of Christ, it punctuates that the last period, that last epoch, the last one-third of this time period has begun. Before God does what? Well, the end of what Joel says, blood, fire, uh, the moon turned into blood, before the coming of the great day of the Lord. So basically he's saying, what you're seeing now is beautiful. Your maidens will dream dreams. You're seeing the power of the Holy Spirit. But judgment is coming on the tail end of all this. On the tail end of the last days, great judgment is going to be poured out on what? 
all the nations. And here all the nations are gathered, so they're all getting the same message. Come to Jesus or face judgment. They're all getting the same exact message. Verse 17 and 18, it shall come to pass in the last days that I'll pour out my spirit on your flesh and your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Um, all that had begun in the upper room upon the men and upon the women of various ages, um, the, everything that begun there was the pouring out, as he said, the spirit will be poured out on your sons and your daughters and they're going to prophesy. As they begin to praise God and, and quote scripture, they're prophesying just by quoting the scriptures, by praising God. Prophecy is in its most simplest form, prophecy is preaching the word of God or proclaiming the word of God. So this morning, if I just read Acts 2 and don't give you any commentary, if I just get up here and read Acts 2, I've prophesied because I read what God said, so that is prophesying, just reading what he said. Now we understand that there is more under the umbrella of prophecy. Uh, Peter and others have been given future events that they can speak of, and that would be prophecy of the future. Uh, there can be specific insights. And Peter is given again, remember he had an insight on the office of Judas to be filled back in chapter 1, and he, talks, he speaks of the psalm, and he says this is, you know, another shall take his office. That was an insight that the Spirit had given him. Here, he's given an insight on what is taking place right then and there is fulfilling prophecy. He said, what you've seen this morning is fulfilling Joel chapter 2. Now, the Spirit told him that. I wouldn't have known to say that. Would you? Hey, this is Joel chapter 2, everyone. No, the Spirit told him, and he preaches it. So he's prophesying in that sense all of that, uh, at that time. Additionally, in their case, uh, the people that are listening to Peter, they're hearing him instantly. He, the, what's amazing about Peter's message, even different than the 120, the 120 fan out, they're all speaking to people and people are hearing their own language. Now Peter has somehow quieted the entire multitude, has the 11 standing up with him, everyone is quiet, and Peter is speaking one language, and now everyone is hearing their language. So every ear is hearing Peter's Galilean accent speak perfect Spanish, perfect Aramaic, perfect Arabic, perfect Hindi, whatever. I'm, 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 all these languages didn't exist then, but you get my point. That would be really cool, wouldn't it? That would really wow people. Walk, you just walk through, place, just start talking to them in English, and they hear their language everywhere you go. Like, I have an instant translator of the Holy Spirit. Uh, anywhere I go, you're going to hear. But they're hearing all this, and obviously... They're amazed, but they're hearing prophecy in this supernatural sense because literally if Peter can speak one language and all the others are hearing it, that is a prophetic word that's never been seen before in this moment. So not only is he having insight on the prophecy of the past, but they're seeing a prophetic word even in the moment. And he goes on, what began, if you look at verse, uh, so he tells them uh, twice there that, uh, that he's going to pour out his spirit, that God's going to pour out his spirit. Interesting that the spirit is poured out not just on the outside, but also inside the disciples. Verse 19 and 20, as we kind of bring this to a close, uh, is where you see judgment mentioned. I will show wonders in heaven above, signs in the earth beneath. The wonders in heaven starts with the rushing wind. But I don't know if you've noticed when you read the scriptures, many times God will speak in the same sentence something current, and he'll fast forward like 6,000 years in the same sentence. Jesus would do this at times, and he would be talking about something in Jerusalem, and then he'd be talking about all the way to the Antichrist, all a matter of seconds. Well, here, 
uh, we actually have Joel goes from the outpouring of the Spirit, which is what he's, Peter's saying is taking place right this morning, all the way to the end because he says, uh, the moon will be turned into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. When the day of the Lord comes, you do not want to be unsaved on earth. Amen? Because that's when the judgment's poured out. Everything, Armageddon, it's all, uh, the, 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 the stars will fall to the earth. I mean, the planets uh, or the uh, islands will all be moved out of their place. Uh, it'll be a dreadful time. So he speaks here, what began with the rushing wind of Pentecost fast forwards all the way to the last of the last days or the final moment of the last days to so the awful uh, tribulation period known as the day of the Lord. But Peter then, the beautiful message of verse 21, it shall come to pass whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. In the interim, from Pentecost to the time Jesus says, last soul in, anyone can call on the name of the Lord. Amen? In the interim, it shall come to pass. In those days, what days? All the days we're currently in. Any of the days from Pentecost till whenever Jesus says, that's the cutoff point. In those times, and we're in those times, right now we have an interim period to call upon the name of the Lord. Peter does not actually quote the very last portion of what is written in Joel. I'm not sure why, but that's up to the Lord. But I do want to show it to you. The last portion even kind of wraps in what's taking place here in Jerusalem. Joel 2, verse 32. He covers 2, 28 through, through the middle part of verse 32. This is the last part that he doesn't mention. For in Mount Zion, which is where they're at right there, in Jerusalem, which is where they're at right there, shall be deliverance, which is going to happen here on Pentecost Day, as the Lord has spoken, a remnant whom the Lord calls, and 3,000 will be saved, which we'll look at in just a couple of weeks when we get back into the text. So isn't it cool that even the rest of it is in Joel chapter 2, and Peter just says, I've got a lot to preach, so I'm going to have to stop there. Uh, guys like Tim can pick it up later uh, and cover the rest of the story, uh, but he had to move on. Verses 22 through 24, men of Israel, uh, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God by miracles, wonders, signs, which God did through him. And he goes on to say, him being you delivered, um, him delivered in purpose by the foreknowledge of God, you've taken by your lawless hands and crucified him, put him to death, but God raised him up, having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be held by it. Peter proclaims, Peter proclaims that the name of the one that they have to call upon is the one they crucified. You got, he's like, you, it was only, at this point, it was only 50-some days earlier. You all know what happened 50-some days earlier. Well, because uh, about 53 days when he, when he was crucified, then he was in the grave for three days, and then you have the 50. So about 53 days earlier, he says, you guys know what took place. You were all witnesses of it. But he proclaims that, that they have to call upon his name to be saved. When many of these came to Jerusalem, I'm talking about thousands of people that came from all the islands, and Crete's mentioned as an island, and all these different places, they came to Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of Weeks, not to get saved. They didn't know they need to get saved. You're going to go to work tomorrow with people that don't know they need to get saved. You're going to meet people this week and this year that aren't going to know they need to get saved. They have no idea they need to get saved. They think they just need a better job or help with an addiction or this, that, and the other. They don't know they need salvation. But they've come to celebrate the Feast of First, the Day of First Fruits, not the Feast of, uh, Feast of Weeks and the Day of First Fruits, not knowing they need salvation, not knowing that the one who himself is the 
beginning of the first fruits of the resurrection. He is the first fruits of the resurrection. And I know, I love how Peter just simply stands up and proclaims, this is the gospel, this is what happened, this is who he is, this is what you need to do. He simply proclaims the word and the witness of Jesus' death and resurrection. He simply reads from Joel and re-preaches the testimony of Jesus, and he just says, this is the truth. He doesn't try and convince them and come up with all these different reasons of why they should believe. He just simply states it. A.W. Tozer says this. He says, the witness of the church is most effective when she proclaims rather than explains. You will not talk people into getting saved. Give them the gospel. Amen? You will not come up with every single solution to their every... They'll always have a 50th question. You've got to present the gospel in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Proclaim it. You don't have to always explain it. And if we're filled with the Holy Spirit, our job is simply to be witnesses of the one who saved us, and we just re-give the word he gave us. Amen? Amen? Amen. Let's close in prayer. Father, even in this room, we know that we need a fresh filling of your Spirit. Or we need that same power that was poured out in the book of Acts. It's hard to be a witness in a world that hates you. It's hard to be a wit witness in a world that's full of sin and pleasures and temptations. And, and uh, Lord, we all need your help. We, we need that refreshing of the Spirit. We need the boldness that you gave Peter here. Uh, we need to be able to connect with people that we otherwise couldn't connect with unless it was the Holy Spirit. All of these things, Lord, come about by waiting upon you and receiving what only you can give us. But Lord, before we close in prayer and worship, if there's even one here that came today doesn't know they needed to be saved, but they do now. The Holy Spirit has pricked them and used uh, my jumbled words in some way to somehow convince them they need the Savior. Lord, if there's any even one, Lord, I pray that you would uh, make that clear to them. And even today, they would call upon you. If there's even one here this morning and say, that's me, I came in here, I did not know I needed to be saved. Or I kind of knew it, but I didn't really know God would speak to me directly. But he has, and I want to give my life to Christ. Raise your hand, I want to pray with you. If there's even one person here, say, I want to give my life to Jesus. I don't want to wait. You don't, you, you don't have a guarantee that you'll be here this time next year. You don't. I'm not saying that's scary. I'm just saying that lots of people this year didn't expect to meet eternity, and already have. Even one person say, I, that's me. I want to give my life to Jesus. He gave his life for me. I want to give my life back to him. I want to know I have the hope of heaven. I want to know my name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Even one person, just raise your hand. I want to pray with you if there's even one person. If you all know the Lord, There is one hand. I'm going to pray with that one. Yeah. Anyone else? Anyone else? God will wait for you. God will wait for you. He already has waited for you. If you're here today and you don't know him, he has waited for you. But Lord, for this one, I pray, and they can repeat after me in their hearts, Lord Jesus, I come to you. Take my sins, wash me, cleanse me, 
from deciding this day to follow you, to be my Lord and my Savior, write my name in the Lamb's Book of Life. Help me to grow in your grace. Fill me and seal me with your Holy Spirit. Thank you for so great a salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Yeah. Why don't you stand as we close in worship? I'll have one more closing prayer for us. And we'll...